macaroni and cheese. And Santa put gifts under Christmas trees. Decorate the house with lights at night. Snow's on the ground, snow white so bright. In the fireplace is the Yule log. Beneath the mistletoe as we drink eggnog. The rhymes that you hear are the rhymes of Gerald. Like each and every year we bust Christmas carols. And welcome to the newest special episode of 21st Century Boys. Today we once again have Joe Crawford. And James Crawford. And we have back Chris from X-Lapsed. Hey, hey, how you doing, gentlemen? And we also have once again our buddy from our show that we do with uh, Mike Myers the DC Everything Else podcast, Kirk Spencer. Hola, senors. All right. So I was just talking to the guys before we got started. I think we're going to have to come up with some kind of name because we've kind of got a little bit of a slate planned for next year. Uh, I'll drop that in Twitter in the coming month or so. But uh, we're going to try to meet every couple of months and do a little special thing for you guys. And uh, so we may have to come up with another name for these special episodes. So uh, since three of us are uh, 20th century boys, maybe we'll have to be the 20th century boys and Jack. I don't know. We'll have to work on a title. (laughs) But uh, we just wanted to do a special Christmas episode because we had so much fun last time with uh, the X-Babies that uh, we wanted to hang out one more time, talk about a holiday uh, comic that we enjoyed. So before we get started with what we each picked out, is there any comic that stands out to you, Chris, that you read about Christmas uh, growing up that meant a lot to you? You know, uh, it's it's a good question because uh, I am a big time Christmas softy. Unfortunately, right. I get very, very emotional this time of year and it's uh, not one of my better qualities. But uh, <laughs> I uh, I will I am a sucker for any Christmas comic, even to this day. Uh, if I'm in a if I'm in a dollar bin or a buck and below bin. And I'll see like a, a Dennis the Menace Christmas from 1960-something, uh, torn off cover or everything. I'll, I'll pick it up, you know. I've been picking up these Archie things for the past few weeks that I've been seeing pop up in, in the bins. It's I I don't really have like a like a, like a precise memory. Okay. Uh, everything's kind of just a uh, just a mashup, you know. Um, oh, sure. Yeah, because – you know, I came in with the X-Men and uh, there weren't very many Christmas issues of the X-Men early on in my fandom. They, you know, those were before with Claremont and then a little bit later on. Right. Um, I, I think of the the Kitty Pride one. Is of course. One of course. My head. Yeah. Yeah. That that one. And uh, there's uh, the two that they have at Rockefeller Center. Uh, there's, right. uh, you know, where the Sentinels come back in one and Gladiator from the Shi'ar comes at the other. But, uh, you know, holiday issues are just very, very special. I. I, I, you know, I feel like uh, there are probably folks out there who, when you see a Christmas issue, they kind of roll their eyes like, ah, nothing's going to happen this month or ah, right. I could probably skip this one. But, uh, oh, you, I mean, you can shovel that stuff <laughs> into my eyeballs. I am just a, a total sucker for it. So if you're at a grocery store and you see the Archie that always comes out every December digest sitting on the rack, do you pick it up or no? Well, you know, if it wasn't like. Was it like thirty five dollars now? Uh, oh God, they they are. I think they're like nine bucks. Yeah, it's Seven, they're either eight or nine dollars. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's like a manga right there. But uh, <laughs> it, I I do usually find them. 
I'll find them like a half price books for a buck. Sure. Uh, so I'll get the old ones when I see them. There you go. Uh, it's, yeah, but anything I see is I'll snag it. I, I've had this stupid, silly idea that I want to do like a weekly Christmas on Infinite Earths podcast eventually. And uh, I threaten it like every year around this time. And uh, and people are like, yeah, do it, do it. And it's like, yeah, maybe not. Maybe next time. <laughs> I want to say somebody did do a Christmas countdown podcast. I want to say maybe it was Kyle, my buddy uh, in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right, Kirk? Do you remember that? Or am I making that up? I'm not sure. I know I know that the Longbox Crusade does a you know a countdown to Christmas. With their they do. Crusade. That's right. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to be on one of those uh, this year. Yeah, I'm gonna oh, be nice. On, I think day two uh, I'm on there this year. Yeah, but I don't think they're necessarily holiday-themed issues, though. No, no, they're just whatever you bring. No. Yeah. Yeah. Some, yeah. some are. It just depends on what the, the guest star picks, I guess. Yeah. I, I brought Miracle Man number one. so Fun. Not, not Christmas, but a very fun discussion, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. So, Kirk, I, I have a guess what yours might be, but I'm curious. What's one of your favorite, uh, favorite Christmas comic book memories? Well, I think I said this on Twitter recently that uh, one Christmas, I always I always wanted comic books and my family rarely ever got me any because they were always like, well, we don't know what you have. So we didn't mm-hmm. get you any. And so instead, we got you something you don't care about. And one year I convinced my parents to please, 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 let's start a new tradition. And my mom is big on tradition, so I really played that up. Let's stop at the curb store and get it. Let me pick a comic on Christmas Eve. And that'll be like, I know at least I'm getting one comic. I know it's not one I have. And this will be wonderful. And that I was probably six years old, something like that. And that tradition continued until, you know, my late teens when basically the newsstands went away. Right. And that was definitely my favorite tradition of, of the holidays. That's really nice. cool. Yeah. Is there a specific Christmas issue that stands out? I don't remember a specific Christmas issue other than as a young child, I had a, a tabloid sized um, Christmas with the superheroes, I think. Okay. And it, and it featured DC characters. I think some of them teamed up with Santa or something. And I treasured that book. I read it till it, the covers fell off and just fell apart. But much like Chris, if it has Santa or a holiday theme, I'm kind of a sucker for it. In fact, the issue I chose tonight wasn't the one I originally picked in my mind. When we first discussed, let's do a holiday episode. Sure. I thought, I thought of several different comics and I was like, oh, I want to do that one or maybe this one or maybe this one. And then I was sorting through and this cover just stood out to me. And, and memories came flooding back of when I got it and a simpler time. And I was like, you know what? You can't you can't ask for anything better than some nostalgia with your comic books. Totally. And it, may not, it may not be the best issue, but it just brought back some good memories. And I was like, that's the one I'm going to do. That was the hardest part of uh, of being on the show here. Just picking which one is that I, I swear I changed mine many, many times, too. Yeah, if if Jerry hadn't suggested the one on, that I ended up picking on Twitter, I'm not sure where I was at because I had one picked out and then I was like, I don't know if this one's good enough. And then Jerry's like, oh, that's a really good one. I read it every Christmas. And it's like, well, you know what? That'll be that'll be the one I roll with then. So, Jack, what is a Christmas comic memory for you if you have any? I don't have any. Okay, I know I've gotten you comics for Christmas before. <laughs> I understand that. I don't have any on You've got a cool dad, Jack. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, well, I'll just say I know um, 
there was a one Christmas that Christmas, uh, Kristen got me uh, just a load of essentials. Uh, I believe our guy had a half price sale in Rock Island and she got me just, I don't even know how many it was, you know how DCBS will sometimes use the diamond boxes mm-hmm. to ship you stuff. It was like three of those full of them. Cause oh, you know, she just got a great deal on them. Cause you know, I think at one point those were even like, I don't know, $15 books. So if yeah. he's doing half price cover, you know, and some of those were probably only seven, $8. And uh, he always used to cut deals too. I know nice. I got like Godzilla from him for like five bucks, which I'm sure we'll discuss to a couple of people, but I'm not selling it. It's mine. <laughs> so anyway, chat, go ahead. Uh, I, it wasn't mine. I gave it to my dad, but I actually translated a comic for him. I got Billy Bat by Naoki Ur- Urasawa, and that doesn't have an English translation. So I translated it from Japanese to English, and then I gave him the translation in the actual book as well. Okay, and now I feel like a heel for not having mentioned that one, but that is true. <laughs> that is uh, that was really awesome. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I, I, I know Urasawa is one of your favorites as well, Chris. So oh, yes. That's Absolutely. one they haven't done in English yet. So Which that one was is that? Very cool. Uh, Billy the Bat. Billy Bat. Billy Bat. Yeah, 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 Billy Bat. And I think it's maybe Italian. You had to read. I know or was it Spanish. French? Spanish. Okay, I knew it was. I knew it was Romance language, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's very cool. Just the artwork alone in that is amazing. And oh, he is. literally went through panel by panel and translated everything. So oh, that's okay, awesome. don't tell your mom that. But, I yeah, remember him doing that for you, and I was <laughs> I was touched states away hundreds if not thousands of miles away and i was like that is the sweetest thing yeah that was that was a very cool one i'm lucky i but you know what that's what i always ask for christmas when i ask for stuff i pretty much only ask for comic stuff these days because you know the background i had mom didn't give comics for christmas uh, so if i uh i got christmas uh comics as a present they were as an adult not as a kiddo so so as the uh as like the comic guy in your family what are some gifts that people bought you that were comic related but weren't comics like like you know like do you get like a captain america flashlight or something i mean any any sort of like weird merch because i feel like like when you go to like the front of like a bookstore like a books a million or a barnes and noble they have like those tchotchke things like here's a chunk of kryptonite you know in a box (laughs) and it's like oh chris likes comics so i'll get him that so you get like this weird <laughs> thing that's going to sit in sit in a box. Like I, I remember getting the, uh, oh boy, the uh, Peter Sanderson DK, like ultimate X-Men like guide. Okay. And it was like a big coffee table book. Right. It has like absolutely no information that anyone who actually reads X-Men would need. Right. Because it's like the most basic boilerplate stuff, but it's like the only book that it is before trades exploded. So it was like the only book in a store. Right. So that'd be what I'd get and be like, oh, cool, you know. Nice. <laughs> you know, I've been I've things. been really lucky for the most part. The only thing I can come up with, and it wasn't that it was a bad gift. And Kristen, when she listens to this, is going to get aggravated with me, but she knows the story. Um, I, I I got a Star Trek Enterprise pizza cutter, mm-hmm. and it's chrome plated. Okay. And it's really awkward. And you should never use the thing to actually cut a pizza. <laughs> Is uh, it shaped like the Star Trek logo thing? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, <laughs> the inter- you're holding the nacelles and in the lower tube body to try to cut a pizza with, which is super awkward. So you're talking about something that makes a, you know, almost like a tennis ball size to grip your hand around to try to cut with. And plus it's chrome plated and it's like terribly hard to clean. 
So I, I would, my plan honestly was this is a tchotchke. Like you said, I'm never going to use this thing. Yep. It's just, you know, an interesting piece it's of neat to have. ephemera. <laughs> yep. And of course they come to visit and she's like, oh, well, we have to use it for the pizza. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to. She's like, no, we have to. And so we used it and I've never gotten it completely looking like it did a, a, again. And so that's always been it's one, a one of the, and like, done. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, I wish we hadn't used that to cut the pizza. And she, of course, said, sorry. So sorry I dragged that up, babe. But um, anyway, that's <laughs> there's that. You know, I get coffee cups or um, uh, those kind of glasses that are really like cool but if you ever put them through a dishwasher they're ruined so we never use them yeah yeah Mm -hmm. uh or you'll get like the the changing coffee cups and uh, you have to hand wash those only so are you talking about the ones where like the fireman's uniform disappears when you pour coffee into it yes i i got (laughs) you're killing me (laughs) i got i got ash by Joe Casada on a mug, and when you pour it in, his uniform disappears. No, but yeah, the idea is the same. <laughs> I feel like they did do that. Uh, we were just talking about Bud Plant and uh, mm-hmm. you know X-rated comics. This is a family show. What am I doing? Anyway, and um, that was one of the things they always had. If you remember, they would have. Um, I don't know if you remember the Bud Plant comic catalogs. Uh, they were like a, a thin uh, phone book. They were yeah, awesome. yeah. They were they were they were pretty big. But you, if you wanted to, you know, learn about Vaughn Bodet and R. Crumb in Perry, Georgia, that's where you learned that's about you it. From. It went yeah. from the library or the internet at that point. But um, they would have like the Betty Page. Uh, that's cup. where I learned who Betty Page was. Yes, I yes. thought she was like the most important person in the world after going through one of those catalogs. It's right. like, oh wow, who is this person I've never heard of? Exactly. They would have mugs of like that for, with her, where you know they she'd have on a bikini then she'd have on nothing so yep. oh boy we got to get back to family related because the kids <laughs> listen to the show we Jeez. love santa we do love santa mm-hmm. um so i think everybody got to talk a little bit about christmas um which was you know the main thing we're here for is to just share a little bit of christmas or your holiday joy or because if one of you has a hanukkah story that's cool too because i don't know what anybody brought but <laughs> um does anybody want to go first otherwise uh i can go first all right, no volunteers, so I'm rolling. Um, this is one of those I picked, and I'll just say ahead of time, the credits for it are probably as long as the story. So mine is a, actually a pretty quick one. I did Superman 165, and it's from February 2001, 225 U.S., 375 Canadian. And This is one with Rob Liefeld doing Aquaman? It is, yep. Oh, boy, yes, I know this one. Yeah, it's, uh, it says, help as the title of the the issue, which is kind of funny because I don't know what that really has to do with the issue itself, but whatever. What they should have gone with is what do you get the JLA for Christmas, which is what the cover blurb says. But anyway, <laughs> the cover has Clark and Lois uh, looking at ornaments and on each of the ornaments there has one of the Justice League members likeness mm-hmm. on them. Um, I was kind of just slowly getting back into comics at this point. I, I think it was at, at Books a Million when I picked this one up. So is this during the Morrison JLA, I'm guessing? I believe. What, what year is this? This is 2001. Um, no, no. Um, okay, I so think, who, I think it was either Mark Wade or Joe Kelly on the JLA okay, at this point. Okay, so the credits on this one are uh, Jeff Loeb, Ed McGinnis, Cam Smith, uh i'm assuming that's all our art team and then we're got uh richard starkings which is usually means lettering uh tanny and richard horry 
I don't know what that is. Maybe coloring? Colorists. Yeah, because they didn't credit these folks. Uh, Tom Palmer Jr., maybe he's the actual book editor. Palmer and, Jr. and Eddie Berganza, yeah. And I was going to Berganza, I knew he did pretty much the Superman family, right? Yeah, around yeah. this time. Yeah, and uh, all these guys are joining together to bring you a holiday gift from the DCU with special <laughs> guests. And as we go through, I'll tell you who each of the special guests is. So we start in deep space, deep, deep space, and it's talking about these people called the Linear Men, and it's showing all of them in kind of agony. Matt Ryder, Hunter, Wave Rider, and Lyra Lee, and they were searching for the planet Pluto, but they found War World, and with their deaths, the path toward the Great Darkness has begun, unless... And that's it. You get this weird little three-page intro that has nothing absolutely to do with the story. <laughs> I'm assuming this is going to be some kind of segue into a future issue, because this is, like I said, this was a newsstand pickup, so this is the only one in this run I have. But Yeah, it goes into like a, the critical something, I think, uh, okay. after this, yeah. Well, the nice thing is, all you need to know about this issue, other than the intro, is Lex Luthor's president, and then we roll. Oh, so I love Lex that. Luthor Lex Luthor has become the president. And uh, the first section we're going to get is going to be Superman with Martian Manhunter and Plastic Man. And this one is done by Umberto Ramos. And I forgot to write down who the inker was, so I apologize to whoever the gentleman was that did that. It was Wayne Foucher. There we go. Thank you. So Plas, John, and Cal are meditating upside down and apparently pretty unsuccessfully. Uh, Cal tells them that, you know, I'm not very good at meditating. And John's like, well, I get it. Given the circumstances, you're kind of stressed out by the whole Luther thing, getting elected president. John says, uh, you know, you can count on me. The first time Luther breaks the law, I'll be there to help. And Plass tells a joke trying to break the tension. And what's worse than Lex being president of the United States? Two Lex Luthers being president and Clark. I guess is smiling. I don't know. Plas acts like he just gets the biggest chuckle out of him ever. I couldn't even tell that if he was even smiling. I don't even think it's that good of a joke. But um, yeah, anyway, he gives him the gifts and he leaves. And there he gives Plastic Man rubber bands and he gives Chacos to John. And of course, John will not share with Plastic Man and he's not happy. Come on, it's the holidays. Not where I come from. So, you know, they don't have they don't have Jesus on Mars. So there you go. Um, Aquaman. They should. <laughs> Quite possibly. So Aquaman is done by uh, Rob Light. Rob Liefeld. Man. And man. Sorry. And Norm Ratman. I'm already stealing your gimmick. I, you know, I can only step on it so much, I guess. It's all good. It's all good. All right. Uh, Aquaman points out to Superman that Luther has uh, reached out to Atlantis, so he's actually not totally upset that uh, Luther is the president. He's offered to give Atlantis tech and support them when dealing with, you know, those uh, humans walking around on the, the the soil. But Clark's like, those are empty promises. And Arthur gets really, you know, Lee Field man angry uh, <laughs> face and says, well, that better not be empty promises. Well, Superman says, well, I'm not sure if Atlanteans ex exchange gifts this time of the year, but here you go. And I'm pretty sure Arthur came from like a human upbringing. So wouldn't yeah. he know what Christmas is? Right. Yeah. Anyway, but <laughs> hand wave moving along. So he gives Arthur a Metropolis snow globe. OK, 
So now we're out in outer space uh, with Green Lantern, and this was done by Mike War- uh, Waringo and Cam Smith. And satellites fall into pieces, and you know Kyle's doing his thing where he's like making all sorts of fun things to to help dismantle and get rid of the satellite pieces. Anyway, Kyle says, you know, there's been crooks as presidents before, and there's going to be again, and he's probably right there. So the person running against Luther could have actually been worse. We'll never know. And, you know, talk about, you know, you can excuse anything. I guess, whatever, one of the biggest criminals of all time is president. Uh, But he says, that's why no one votes. And Clark's like, "Uh, didn't you vote? He's like, well, of course I vote. And he asks why, and Kyle tells him it's because, you know, that's the only way you can keep hope alive is by voting. So Clark gives uh, Kyle his gift, and it's a can of Jiffy Polish for rings. Ha, ha, ha. Really? Clark's <laughs> a bad gift giver. I, you know, he really is. He's kind of awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's that alien upbringing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so we're, we're off and running with the Flash, and yay, it's Art Adams, so it's absolutely gorgeous, and yay, it's Wally, so this is a double good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's running off uh, out of Keystone. He's heading to get some chocolate that's only available in San Francisco for Linda. So and a deli, probably? Yeah, well, you know... <laughs> Well, you can buy that in the store now. So, yeah. <laughs> Wally's a mensch. He's going to do what he's got to for he's his lady. Yeah. yeah, he's a good dude. Uh, Don, I don't care what Tom King says. I did not just say that. <laughs> anyway, Clark We don't talk about that. <laughs> that never happened. Clark <laughs> mentions that he'd been talking to Kyle about politics. And he's like, oh, that must have been a short conversation. But um, uh, he asked Wally, do you vote? He says, early and often, as Barry would say, for good or for bad, I believe in the American way. Can you vote often? I don't think that's a thing. Certain cities. Oh, that's fair. Uh, Superman agrees that the American way is his way, too. So he's not going to be dragging Luther kicking and screaming from office, even though that might be what someone wants him to do. And they get to San Fran while he goes, beat you. And Clark's like, I didn't know this was a race and gives him some tube socks. So he's kind of a sore loser. Um, Next, we get to Wonder Woman. And this one's all sorts of I got thoughts on this one. So I'll see what Chris thinks since you've read this one before. So this is Ian Churchill and Norm Ratman. Um, I don't know if it's Norm or Ian, but and I don't think it's Norm because Norm looked good earlier. But the inking on this looked crazy, like thick, it, like Superman's got so much ink. He looks like he's actually in black. It doesn't even look like he's got on a blue suit. It's like he's got a blue black suit on. I don't it's know. True. It doesn't it's look true. good. It's- and this is when uh, Churchill was still in his uh, Lee Field mode here. Right. You can see he's I, very much a Rob disciple at this point. Just the the gritted teeth, the disproportionate uh, bodies. It's it's not good. No, it's not. And I actually like Churchill later on. He did Me a too. series. He did a series, uh, Marine Man, where mm-hmm. he did a very clean, almost cartoony kind of vibe, and I, I thought it looked really good. Yeah, when he anyway. found his own style, it was uh, yeah. it was a lot better than than this. Yeah, this this part is definitely I think Rob's section looks better than this. Honestly, this is you definitely the, right. the ugliest section of the book. But anyway, so Diana and Cal are wrestling. And my first thought when I get to this is like, does Lois know about this? And secondly, does she approve of this? But whatever. No uh, and no. Right. <laughs> uh Diana says, I don't care about Luther. I care about you, Clark, and what this election is doing to you. And she's not wrong. This, I mean, the whole book is him giving bad gifts and stressing about Luther. 
So um, Diana points out she's pinned Clark twice and that he really needs to let this go. He should be thinking about Lois. And I go, you know what? My thoughts exactly. Mm -hmm. Then he gives her a mini Mjolnir and they embrace. And I'm just saying it looks like they're smooching. It looked very like it didn't look like friends. Yeah, Yeah, I'm not loving this anyway. Do you know why he gave her the Mjolnir? Is this JLA Avengers tie-in? What is this? No, no. This is a, a trinket to remember that they had spent 1,000 years together in a story. Um, boy, which was it? It was a uh, – I don't remember which issue it was, but it was an issue of Action Comics. Uh, okay. And uh, it was Action 761. And it was a time where uh, Lois – I'm not Lois – Wonder Woman and Clark were stuck in another dimension for 1,000 years. Oh, Wow. No, so, yeah, that's I uh, missed that one. Yeah, that's that's, uh, they kind of did that in Invincible, too, with um, who was it? It was Robot Man and the robot. And what was it? The, the, the giant. Girl. Oh, look, look, yeah, yeah, yeah. The one who like changes. And every time she changes, she ages. Yeah, I can't remember their names now. So I guess yeah, they, Kurt, they fought Thor in this one. That's, oh, gotcha. Just not our Thor. A different. Thor. Right, right. The real, you know, Thor. Thor's been in at IDW, Image, DC and Marvel then, huh? You know, I was reading an Incredible Hulk, a Peter David Incredible Hulk that had Thor in it, and it was a different Thor in that. It was a (laughs) red-haired Thor. (laughs) That's funny. Well, you know, I guess there's no public domain on uh, Norse gods. And the last one is, uh, well, actually, if you don't count the one-pager of Lois, but uh, the the last one is Joe Madden, Tim Townsend doing Batman. And this one's probably my favorite one. We got Gotham at midnight and the boys are talking and Batman uh, reminds Clark of his words that uh, Clark said, we have to put our faith in the American people to do the right thing. And that's Bruce basically giving him a big I told you so. So Clark looks angry and he hands Bruce a gift and he's like, this is from Lois. And I think that's his way of saying, you know, like, I didn't get you nothing, but it's a magnifying glass. It's actually the first good gift of the entire book. And uh, Bruce, of course, says, tell Lois, thank you. And Bruce, as he swings off into the night, says, when the time is right, we're going to take Luther down. And we end with Lois and Clark's arms heading to spend Christmas in the bottle city of Candor. No phones, no faxes, no two-way wrist radios. And it ends with Clark saying to Lois, what's worse than Lex Luther being president of the United States? And the answer is Clark's gift giving and hearing that joke twice in the same comic. Uh, that said, you know, I, I may have sounded a little gripey. I really did love this issue. It's a pretty perfect one and done. Um, mm-hmm. The opening pages aside didn't work for me, but that's because I read it, you know, out of context, which would happen, you know, if you're picking it up on a newsstand randomly, like used to happen in the olden days. Um, but the re- remaining 19 pages told a pretty good story about Clark and how quite possibly he may be the worst gift giver ever. And <laughs> And it really made me think what would be more fun would almost be if we could have had a JLA white elephant Christmas. But, you know, here's the hoping that happens someday in the future. So that was my issue. Anybody got any other thoughts before we move on? Well, it just made me wonder what what's the worst Christmas gift you've ever gotten. Oh, gosh. Um mm. I remember there I used to work at a radio station and I'll tell you the worst reception I, I ever gave the person for the gift is uh, I was very tired because, you know, overnight at the radio station, you go in at 10, you get off at six. 
And I said, let me lie down before we open Christmas. And my mom's very insistent. She's like, no, let's do it now. And I was like, fine. And I was thoroughly exhausted. It's, you know, seven in the morning. I've had maybe a cup of coffee and no sleep. And I open it and it's the ugliest shirt I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, thanks. And uh, she could tell I absolutely hated it. So I don't know if this is the worst gift I ever got, but it was definitely my worst reaction to a gift ever. You just didn't have the energy to fake it. No. (laughs) When you get something bad, you got to be like ready for it. And I was not there. So what about you? Uh, Well, it was the 1980s, you know, peak Star Wars, peak Masters of the Universe, peak G.I. Joe. You know, I'm filling out sheets of notebook paper from the Sears catalog with comic books and these action figures and maybe some underoos. And our tradition was you got one big present, sure. usually usually around $50 was my dad's price limit. Mm-hmm. And then you would get some little things. Right. And my, my big present that Christmas morning, I'm, I'm thinking Castle Grayskull. I'm thinking, you know, maybe some G.I. Joe tanks, maybe an X-Wing fighter. I come running downstairs and my sister and I each have... <laughs> A cabbage patch kid under the tree. <laughs> <laughs> that was a hot gift. That probably cost more than fifty dollars. It, <laughs> it was very popular. But I was sure that basically I was being punked like this. Because we, we each got like one side of the tree. All my presents are on this side, all your presents are on that side of the tree, and the two right. do not mix. It's like, well, some somebody's messed up and put your gift on my side. <laughs> and my mother's like, No, th- no, that's what Santa got you. No, no, he didn't. No, (laughs) there's no possible way that Santa got me a Cabbage Patch Kid. There was no no mention of Cabbage Patch Kids on my like five page letter to Santa. No. (laughs) And that that as my protest, because that pretty much all we did in that room in that house was holiday gatherings. Right. And my parents were not interested in cleaning things up and whatnot. So I left that doll there until the next christmas as protest didn't touch it (laughs) didn't open it did nothing with it It sat there from one christmas to the next as my little middle finger to santa boy that's committing it is well well, i mean i had no interest in playing with it and the worst part was not only the heartbreak of you got a doll when you wanted star wars and gi joe and whatnot was going to school and all your friends are like i got the millennium falcon what did you get I got a cabbage patch kid. I got yeah. a rock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A rock <laughs> that that Charlie Brown. I got a rock. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh any volunteers to go up next? Well, I want to hear Chris's worst gift. Oh, okay, well, sure, sure. My worst gift was a uh, it wasn't even a bad gift, it was just the circumstances around it. Um I had been working for a uh, a major moving company, um, an international moving company, and I'd worked my way up the ranks. And I was like 19 or 20 years old. And so I was getting ready to move out of my mom's house. And uh, Christmas came up. And the company that I worked for, their parent company went bankrupt. So like 80% of the workforce was told, don't come back. And I was one of them. So Christmas morning, there's a bunch of boxes under the tree for me. I open them up. And they're appliances, like like a coffee pot, a toaster. And it's like, I, I, and it was just like, okay, it was very sweet, but I lost the job a month or two ago. 
right. you know, I'm not going anywhere <laughs> right now. <laughs> so it was just a really rotten circumstance. Uh, but it's always something I remember when I think about a bad gift, because probably like Joe said, it was just the reaction to it. It's like, oh, thanks. Right. It's like, oh, here's. Okay, it's oh, it's dishes. Okay, thanks. I, I love the Mr. Coffee, but I plan to keep using yours for at least another year. Yeah, just right. until I get on my feet. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was pretty bad. I, I'm gonna excuse Jack from answering this question because, like I said, that would indict you, wouldn't it? The the entire family <laughs> listens to the show eventually, so I don't want to get him in any trouble. Jack, we pardon you. So we don't tell you what hurt any feelings. Will Nobody Jack... involved in this show chose the Cabbage Patch Kid. For me. <laughs> we'll, we'll let Jack go ahead and do his book. That way he gets a chance to talk. Okay. So. Okay. So my book was Hawkeye Volume 6. God, six volumes. Oui. Yeah. Can, which, which one is this? What, what year? This is the uh, AHA Fraction, Fraction Run. Okay. Yeah. So the story starts on December 18th. The reason I say the date is because each page they change the date to make it more confusing and harder to talk about. Uh, <laughs> but, so, because every page is like December 18th, and this December 15th, and this December 16th. Well, that's, that's the style. It's yeah, non-linear. That's how they tell stories, yeah. So the story starts with a bunch of panels, like little tiny panels, like zoomed in a bunch of like their faces and stuff. And Hawkeye's task to cut a wire with the choice of cutting the green or the red. It seems dangerous at the moment with Tony telling him, like Tony Stark, right. there's no, there's a better way to do it than just cut the wire. Hawkeye cuts the green wire and then we see it isn't a dangerous situation as Tony tells him, Hawkeye, that the tires were just the wires were just tangled, and he should have untangled them. Tony then says that he should cut them all after seeing how unprepared and messy Hawkeye's room is. It's not obvious by the tree and lights in the background that Hawkeye is preparing for Christmas. Tony asks, what on earth can untangle this disaster? And Hawkeye replies by saying, you? That's why I called. The next page shows the title, Hawkeye, and has the caption, Clint Barkin, a.k.a. Hawkeye has become the greatest sharpshooter to man. He then mentioned... What? Let me look real quick. You're all good. Uh, he then joined the Avengers. This is what he does, does when he's not being an Avenger. I believe this is just like... Something the same for like everything because it just seems kind of basic. Yeah, they that was that used to be really common. They would yeah. like have a little blurb every issue to let you know, okay, this is your first Marvel comic. This is setting the stage. So yeah, that's that's what that's a nod then to. Then the page shows two small pictures of the Hawkeyes, Clint and Kate. The Hawkeye we will see for most of the issue is Clint, but I will say Clint instead of Hawkeye from now on to be less confusing. Sure. From what we saw, the beginning was Clint. Then the date is brought back to the past, and it's now December 13th. Spider-Man, Wolverine, and Clint are fighting some AIM agents. Clint is shot by one of the agents and suddenly thinks to himself, Did I miss Christmas again? Clint says to Peter and Logan that he feels like crap as the AIM agents are being forced into a truck. Wolverine mentions that Melheim didn't have to shut down AIM before they teleported Fifth Avenue into the sun. Spider-Man asks, Mel, if he is 100 years old, and Mel says, 100% we are, as he's being forced into the truck with other AIM agents. The soldiers locking up the AIM agents say otherwise. Clint continues to talk about his stress, and Spidey tells Clint to take off 
time for the holidays. Clint mentions relaxing at home, and Logie and Spidey start talking about a show called Dog Cops. Clint covers his ears so he doesn't hear spoilers, and finally decides to take a break for a few days so he can finish the show and take a break until New Year's. We transport back to December 18th, where we left off on the first page. Tony tells Clint that he will just get rid of all the old stuff and buy new stuff with the money he has. Clint argues, saying he already has money to use. Tony says he doesn't know where Clint got the money from and then gets cut off. Clint says he has money, but like a rich amount of money. Tony wonders where he got the money, and Clint just says places. Tony asks, upset and possibly angry, if he got the money from a place such as Wall Street. Clint says yes. Then later on, Clint says he's just kidding as he sees that Tony is even more upset by the situation. Tony says Clint looks like a thief and then once again says he'll buy this stuff for I mean, what is what has Clint done for Tony to be such a jerk? I mean, it's been the 60s since he robbed people. I think we should have forgiven him by now. I mean, even on the sliding scale, it would have been, what, 15 years ago or something? Go back to the day before December 17th and see Clint starting to get stuff out of the boxes, but being distracted by stuff like laser discs and getting nothing done. <laughs> laser disc? <laughs> yeah. Clint walks to his door because people are knocking at his door, and at the door is a family named Simone's asking Clint for help because the cable, with the cable, as our child has a Christmas show airing next week, and the cable is broken. Mm. Cable wonders why the cable man won't fix it, and the cable man says that the cable is out on fire escape and he'll be danger doing it because he is fat out of shape and lazy clint <laughs> says that the cable person should just do it because it is their job and the cable man argues against this as he says his job is fixing equipment failure not equipment damage that he looks at the cable box and sees that it is destroyed for by an arrow oh, a purple arrow yeah then Clint finally realizes that this is his, his fault and he should be the one to fix it. Clint tells the family to leave until he gets new equipment and tries to figure it out. We go. You think that the apartments in New York in the 616 would have superhero insurance? Yeah. Like if something gets damaged by a villain or hero, it's covered, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be arrows and laser beams and people thrown by Luke Cage that's going to tear up apartments. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Go further back to December 14th. Clem ends what we can assume to be a Christmas party being handed a DVR with the rest of Dog Cops. Clint asks what he will watch now that Dog Cops is over, and the man ignores this and just tells them to enjoy it. The man calls Clint Hawk Guy. Clint <laughs> tries to com- correct him, but he still ended up being called Hawkeye, and it goes on for like three, four panels. And it goes on for three, four issues, too. You know? Oh, really? It, it keeps okay. going, yeah. Clint tries to correct... Oh, yep. A girl comes to Clint that to tell him that people with the bats are below them. The men with bats have red jerseys on and are yelling from downstairs to Clint. Clint comes down to tell the guys to get away from the building because they're annoying. The guys with bats call Clint stupid. Suddenly two (laughs) trucks full of people come and beat up Clint until he can't move. He's still somewhat conscious, though. Clint has a mask put over his face and is driven to a room with even more people. Inside the room, along with the guys, is just one, like, elderly guy in white telling Clint he made a lot of dangerous people mad. Hmm. 
the man mentions being stolen from, and then Clint is put back in the truck and kicked out of the truck. Clint gets back to his couch and sees his arrow thinking about Kate. It changes to the morning of the next day, I assume. It doesn't say that, though. And we see that Clint has now wrapped up his old arrow so he can get it to Kate. And the day is now December 19th, and Clint is finally going to start watching his DVR when he is erupted again. Then we go back to December 15th. And we see Kate asking Clint why she got the arrow. Clint says he wanted her to have the arrow. And Kate asks Clint where he's going because he needs it. Clint hesitates at first, but then says they're going to kill everyone in the building if he doesn't leave. And they screwed up. We can assume this is about the men with bats. Clint says he'll only be gone for a little while and the Avengers will be fine without him. Kate yells at Clint to continue being a good guy and not quit. She hands the arrow the arrow and stomps away from clint the days progress as we can see the guys with the bats start driving up and we see clint starting to practice using his arrow are these the tracksuit bros i believe so okay yeah, it's, yeah. nothing else of this occurrence is shown but the days do progress and we don't see them again so we can assume they were beat up by the arrow and okay. We go back to December 19th and see that Clint invited the family from before, the ones with the DVR, to watch Christmas specials with him. The mother asks if this is really okay with Clint and if he has nothing else to do. Clint replies saying nope and thinks to himself, I'm not going anywhere. And then the volume ends. Nice. So this sounds like definitely, um, I don't know if you guys are watching the Hawkeye series, so it, it, this definitely sounds like it ties into what they're doing right now on Disney+. Plus. And I, I know that the, uh, I know Chris, I know you don't watch movies, and I should assume you don't watch the shows either. <laughs> I don't. But, uh, yeah. The, the, even the intro, um, you re- did you read this run? Us, uh, it's been years, but yeah, okay. I read some of it. Yeah, yeah. So even the style of the um, the intro is like yeah, like the, the what, yeah, yeah, it, it the, the the cards or whatever you know that say the names literally sure. look like the aha art, and okay. the the lettering style looks like how they lettered the titles and everything. So mm-hmm. I think old farts like me call those title cards, um, <laughs> and uh, it, it, it's made to look like it's from that era. So yeah. It's, it's very very cool so so what did you think jack did you did, yeah i enjoyed it yeah that run in general i think is a lot of fun um i don't remember what era of avengers that is um no it said 2012 to 2015 so okay sometime so that was oh gosh it, that would be the hickman run run then wouldn't it uh, yeah end of bendis into hickman yeah yeah okay very cool well thanks jack i i like i like i like that era of hawkeye that was a lot of fun and um i that goes to to prove you know that they could do the generational stuff like dc without feeling force-fed like some of the other stuff that they did yeah you know and i, I think the hawkeye hawkeye is one where they they did a good job it felt organic if you will probably because mm-hmm. the they gave the young Avengers kind of time to breathe and get into our consciousness that it didn't feel, you know, rushed, you know, like some of the other stuff they've done. So sure. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to call names if somebody doesn't volunteer. Well, you I pick. can go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ready to go? Yeah, go ahead. I chose Fantastic Four, number 361. 
It's cover dated February 1992. And I remembered this issue. New England Comics offered a special half-off offer for anything from their catalog. And I ordered all kinds of bags and boards and boxes and all kinds of comics that I could get. It was a it was a massive order for me at the time. And I just remember seeing this cover and being excited because I love I love the theme, love Doctor Doom. This cover features Doctor Doom hovering over the background of Yancey Street with the thing facing off with the Yancey Street gang as snow begins to fall. And Real so quick, just, I'm going to interrupt you. There's one thing, uh, Chris, I don't know if you ever ordered <laughs> from um, New England, but the big deal to new, me as a kid was New England bagged and boarded anything you ordered from them, which back in the late 80s, early 90s was like unheard of. Oh, yeah. I, I never ordered from them, but I remember. I mean, that's all you had to do back then is put something in a bag and board, and it looked like it was more important than it was. Yeah, yeah. it was like you a million-dollar comics. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's stuff that's reserved. why I ordered from yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay, cool. Sorry to interrupt you, Kurt. Oh, that's fine. Um, so this is Miracle on Yancey Street, and our story opens with the theme, the thing screaming in pain. He has a broken arm, and Reed is using one of his contraptions to set Ben's broken arm. A visitor is announced at Four Freedoms Plaza. I don't remember. I guess at some point this was either renamed from the Baxter building or they it's moved a different, somewhere else. Yeah, they moved in the 90s. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a Mr. William Sokolowski is here to see Ben. Ben excitedly races away to see his old pal, Lugger Sokolowski. Ben and Slugger swap stories over drinks. Slugger asks Ben to come by the old neighborhood and speak to his son who has gotten involved with drugs. As it turns out, the boy is being kidnapped as Ben and his dad are out drinking, but a member of the Yancey Street gang sees it happen. The story switches back to the home of the FF. Johnny finds a gift he had hidden from Alicia, and he overhears her complaining about recent events and being impersonated by an alien and how her life just basically <laughs> sucks right now. So Johnny just tosses the gift and walks off. Comes across young Franklin, who was trying to get the Christmas decorations out, but the box is just too heavy for him. Franklin tells Johnny everybody's feeling sad and needs Christmas now more than ever. What a, what a message. We go back to the thing, walking down Yancey Street, where he is pelted with a snowball. Ben chases after his assailant, but slips, falls, and of course, in true Ben Grimm fashion, crashes into a bunch of trash cans and gets trash all over him. Standing before him is the current roster of the Yancey Street Gang. The gang tells Ben about the recent disappearances in the neighborhood and that they just saw a kid get kidnapped and they're going to save him. Witnesses lead Ben to a locked up building. One of the kids picks the lock and they go in to find all kinds of futuristic machinery. They are attacked by the people who took the slugger's son, and Ben fights them and discovers they are robots. The slugger's son witnesses the action while being strapped to a table. He cries out for someone to come help him and save him, but a shadowy figure in the background tells him no one can help him now. As Ben defeats the robots, he is shot. On a platform above stands Dr. Doom. He continues firing at Ben, but the Yancey Street gang manages to disarm him. Doom shows that he needs no weapon. Hail Doom! He fires bursts from his hands, sending the kids running. He says he will not wage war with children, but they need to leave him alone. Doom, Doom punishes Ben with energy bursts, telling him that he has cost 
Doom the chance to discover the cure for drug addiction. Doom leaves, and Ben tells everyone to evacuate. As Ben predicted, the building itself collapses as Doom has set it to self-destruct. Child is reunited with his dad, telling Slugger that he wants to get clean. The Yancey Street gang tells Ben he's okay after all. Meanwhile, they're stealing his wallet and hanging a kick-me sign on his back. <laughs> we, we close with Reed, Sue, Franklin, and Alicia decorating the tree. Ben comes in furious as he has discovered the kick-me sign in his missing wallet. His family quickly improves his mood with mistletoe and offers of eggnog, and Ben gets into the holiday spirit. Ben wishes everyone, including us, the reader, a very Merry Christmas. This comic also includes a cool ad for those all-over-print Marvel shirts and an ad for upcoming Great Eastern Conventions. And one of them was in Atlanta on January 5th of 1992. And I really wonder if I went to that show because I went to a lot of these Great <laughs> Eastern Conventions in a, in a hotel up in Atlanta. So I got a couple of comments. Um, first off, I love that Doom said he doesn't fight children, and yet there was a mini series called Cri uh, Children's Crusade where it literally was Doom fighting the kids. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, and number two, who did who did you say was the the writer on this one? Oh, I don't think I read the credits. The the oh, Paul okay. Ryan, Paul Ryan, DeFalco. DeFalco yeah. That's what I thought the era was. Okay, so the. Okay, right. This is this would have been right, I think, before I jumped on. So I don't have this issue, but I was I was getting Fantastic Four because I had you know gotten out of high school and I had way too much money. I, I, I think I've told you this story. Like they actually would cash my check at the one comic book store in Perry, Georgia, because I bought so much every Friday when the books would come out. I would yeah. literally go in there with my check from the radio station spend two thirds of it on comics and, you know, get like, I don't know, 20 bucks back and change. Cause I was making like $4 an hour or something, but yeah, <laughs> but that was when I was rich, getting everything. Though. What's that? You thought you were rich back then. Oh, I did. You were. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I will say this. I, I, I sold a lot of comics right before the bubble completely burst and it, it helped pay for a major move. I wish I had those comics back. Uh, but you know, they actually did get me a little bit of money, not as much as I thought they would probably, but they helped help get me through a hump that I don't know they would have got through without. And those DeFalco comics were some of the ones I sold, I know for sure. But I, I like that run. I don't love the the uh, the Sue outfit they put her in, but uh, I actually think that the DeFalco were and Paul Ryan runs actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. I don't remember much about it because I was in and out. I would pick okay. up usually because of a, a sale like the New England sale right. or a cover that caught my eye. But uh, so I was kind of sporadic and I sure didn't remember much about it. I'd forgotten that Ben and, and Alicia had broken up and Johnny and Alicia were together. Well, she was Elijah or whatever there for a while. She was a, a scroll. A scroll. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she got I, once once I read this issue, I was like, oh, yeah, Elijah yep. was like impersonating yep. her or something. And, yep. And, and uh, that was uh, right before uh, Sue ran off with Namor again for a little while. But, yeah, th th the worst part of it is that horrible outfit with the cutout four they put her in, which hmm. you, you don't want to see your mom running around in that outfit. I don't care how nice she looks. Well, Sue Storm's not my mom. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I think that that run uh, 
gets uh, knocked because of it's it's in the 90s and it looks 90s, but the stories were actually pretty solid. So I need to go back and reread those someday. And DeFalco's always solid. Yeah, he's a he's he's a good writer. I'd love to you know uh, that that uh, what was it called with like J two and all oh, that MC two yeah M- yeah M two universe or something yeah. like that. I, I, I that Spider Girl was good stuff he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's good stuff. I don't know about the rest of it that I, that it holds up very well, but I enjoyed it. He ran. He did a solid run on the Thor, if I remember right, and that was really good stuff. His Thor was good. Yep. All right, Mr. Sheehan, who apparently also uh, does the autumnal for Vault Comics. Um, uh, yeah, I know. I, I just spell my name differently for that. Yeah, you just just drop an E when you go to work. E. Yeah, that's, how, that's my <laughs> pen name there. Drop an E. But uh, like I said earlier, um, when I was tasked with picking a book here, I uh, was like, it, it was like an embarrassment of riches. Like, how, like, how do you pick, right? Right. Um, I decided to go with a short story that appeared in Christmas with the Superheroes number two from uh, DC Comics in 1989. And this is uh, probably a story a lot of folks listening will know about. This features Dead Man, and it features Dead Man meeting somebody. But uh, we'll, we'll get there. The story is called Should Old Acquaintance Be Forgot? Written by Alan Brennett with art by Dick Giordano. Letters Steve Haney. Colors Tom McCraw. Editor Mark Wade. And dedicated to Otto Binder and Jim Mooney. And uh, if anybody's listened to my stuff, you know Dead Man is not one of my favorite characters. Um, He's right after the Spectre, I think. Spectre, Phantom Stranger, then Dead Man, I think. Yeah. yeah. yeah those, those characters I, I really can do without. Um, yeah. Dead Man's probably – the only time I actually really liked Dead Man is when he was not dead anymore in Brightest Day. I thought he was right. pretty cool then. And this story. This is probably my favorite Dead Man story ever. So we open and it's Christmas time and Dead Man is being kind of naughty. You see, he's been uh, scoping out a rather rich fellow by the name of John Turner Danforth, which sounds pretty yuppie-ish. Now, after taking possession of this dude's body, uh, Boston Brand goes about using his immense and uh, arguably ill-gotten fortune in order to send gifts to his old friends at Hills Brothers Circus. Which is a pretty sneaky move. That's not the story we're going to tell today, though. It's going to be a little bit deeper than that. This is a story about how during Christmas, a dead man is at his most lonely. Because of all the goodwill toward men in the air, it uh, well it gives him a bit too much idle time. Now, Boston's at the uh, skating rink, and he spots a skater on the ice. He decides to take possession in order to feel what it's like to have the cold air brushing on his face. And after a couple of axles, he spots a uh, arousing woman. He, he actually says that he's aroused by this woman. Um, <laughs> well. Yeah, yeah, he's, he says, uh, what does he say here? Um, uh, yeah, he says, uh, good body, strong, athletic, and uh, aroused. Definitely aroused. Oh, um, now, he figures that his next stop, his next body hop, will be inside the body of this arousing woman's male companion. So he does that. And the woman kisses him because she doesn't realize she's, you know, kissing a dead man. Uh, Then together they head to a friend's house for a Christmas party. Boston is greeted and treated as though he belongs there. Of course, because nobody there knows that their buddy Paul is currently being possessed by dead men. Now he loses himself in the fun frivolity and warmth of the occasion. 
and he takes in the sounds of laughter, the smells of food. He reminisces about Christmases long, long ago. But then he's slapped in the face by a harsh dose of reality because he realizes no matter how nice this is, it's not his Christmas. It's Paul's Christmas. And what he's doing right now is robbing Paul of a wonderful experience and ultimately wonderful memories. So after one more scan of the table and one more look into his, you know, arousing woman's loving eyes, Austin decides to vacate. He thinks that he's already taken a little too much from Paul and doesn't feel right taking any more. Now, outside the party, he curses Rama for his lot in afterlife, I guess, uh, before sitting down to sulk a bit. Now, the pity party is interrupted by the arrival of a blonde stranger who, oddly enough, can see dead men. Hmm. She offers an, an unsolicited opinion in that she suggests that dead man might be feeling the way he is because nobody can see all the good he's done. He's very much an unsung hero, righting wrongs without ever getting recognition or credit. Boston asks her if anybody cares, to which the stranger says, probably not. Dead man relates his feelings to when he was a circus performer. He says he was fueled by applause, something that he certainly doesn't experience these days. The stranger, this blonde stranger, removes Boston's mask so she can look him in the eyes and assures him that what they do isn't for recognition. They do what they do because no one else will. They act in the interest of the greater good, even if no one remembers they ever existed. Remember that last bit there. A dead man apologizes for his outburst and tells the stranger that, you know what, you're right. Now, after wishing the man a Merry Christmas, the stranger goes to take her leave. Before she can, however, Boston asks for her name, to which she replies, Kara. But she doubts that'll mean anything to him. We wrap up with Boston floating away, letting the situation set in. And he thinks to himself that, you know what, Kara was right. That name didn't mean anything to him. He wishes her a Merry Christmas, whoever she is. And that's where we leave it. Now, this is... This is a very emotional issue, a very emotional story here for a few reasons, right? Before we get to who the blonde stranger is, because I'm sure most people figured it out, um, the bit with Boston here, um, being surrounded by a family that isn't his, friends that aren't his, but mm-hmm. trying to enjoy it all the same, is something that really hit me kind of hard, because it's... You think about what you know. What what is Christmas? You know, Christmas is a different thing when you're a kid than when you're an adult, right? Right. You know, uh, Christmas when you're a kid is about you know you get your presents. You're you know, of course, family is an element of it. But when you're a grown up, when you're an adult, even a fake ass adult like myself, it's uh it's about family, right. and it's about starting a family. It's about uh, seeing Christmas through other people's eyes, and that's exactly what Dead Man's doing here. You know, he's seeing Christmas through the eyes of someone else. And, you know, the dead manniness of this uh, situation here, it's something that I think we can all relate to because it feels, you know, Christmas is almost cruel in what it is. Um, It feels like every year for a month or so, we're gently dropped into this like warm, festive time. Families gather you know, neighbors decorate and lighting up their houses. You reconnect with friends you haven't talked to all year. And then it's over. Right. You know, you're yanked back to reality for another 11 months. Uh, friends and family, they go back to their own, they go back their own way. Neighborhood returns to normal. The warmth 
goes away. And uh, I mentioned, I don't know if we're recording yet, but I'm going to be on uh, the uh, Longbox Crusades Christmas uh, series of Christmas specials. And uh, one of the questions that uh, Pat and the guys ask is to name your favorite Christmas carol. And uh, I named uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. And I had to make sure to say it's I, it's the, uh, oh, what the hell's her name? Who played Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz? Judy Garland. There she is. The uh, Judy Garland version, because yeah. that version has a line in it that isn't in every version of that song. And it's it's a line that it's like every time I hear it in the car, because we, we listen to the satellite radio, I have to like change the song because I can't hear it. if like my wife's with me because I don't want her to see me like reacting to it. Sure. And there's that line. It's, you know, someday soon we'll all be together if the fates allow. And the, usually the line you'll hear a lot of the times is hang a shining star upon the highest bough. Right. But in Garland's version, it was until then we'll have to muddle through somehow. And you think about it, so much of life can come down to muddling through if we allow it to, you know. And we we think about Dead Man here. He's doomed to work in anonymity, you know. He does what's right for people who will never know nor care who he is. To me, it doesn't really get much more muddling through than that. And it's something that's uh, all that more apparent during you know, the most wonderful time of the year. And it's only in meeting some strange blonde woman named Kara that he begins to make peace with it. And, I mean, you guys know who Kara is, right? Well, I'm hoping it's who I think it is, yeah. Because this would have been post-crisis before they brought her back, I'm guessing. This is post-crisis, yes. So this is the pre-crisis Supergirl. A Supergirl that no longer exists and actually never had. Right. So she can identify with Dead Man in that everything she's ever done or will ever do, no one's ever going to know. No one's ever going to acknowledge her existence, which is, you know, pretty heartbreaking stuff. Oh, my Um, gosh. I was just about to say that's heartbreaking when you think about it. Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I was not a pre-crisis guy. I -hmm. wasn't even a DC guy, you know, but I can totally see how if I were a pre-crisis guy – the poignancy and the tragedy of this meeting would just be off the charts. Right. You know, it's, you know, you, you talked about convergence. I think we were off the air though, but um, we talked about what that actually gave to the DC universe uh, other than allowing its editors to move across country. Right. Right. Um, We were given this fleeting opportunity to be with our friends and family in the DC universe before returning to muddle through right back with the new 52, you know, it, it, you know, it's, it's weird. I'm probably over romanticizing it, but no, you're absolutely right. And I think that's why for so many of us, we jump back on wholeheartedly mm-hmm. uh, for that, that month sure. or two or two months. Two and, months um, yeah. Yeah. And even though, you know, it's swamp thing, in a trench coat and it's uh captain <laughs> fighting a vampire batman yeah. right and it's and it's you know leotard catwoman and you know <laughs> it, it hit nostalgia buttons for me uh you know some of them were more so than others but they're definitely uh we got to deal with uh roy and his heartache mm-hmm. uh with the titans book so it, there were good moments in it and yeah it was it was 
sadly, with the exception of bringing Jonathan to us, mostly so much and nothing, but it had a couple of spots. It did. It sure did. So, yeah, that's the story I decided to bring today. Um, I just thought it was a very powerful story, and it's it's one that even though none of us are, you know, dead men who can possess people, we could kind of relate to the the out-of-body experience of what Christmas can be and yeah. uh, just how how cruel it is that it's so quickly taken away, you know, and you're just left to muddle through until you, until it comes back. I, I love it. And I, and not to take take away from the, the touchiness of it, I do wish that uh, the Wonder Woman 1984 crew had read this story and realized how gross it was for them to take over a man's body and put Steve Trevor in it uh, for the entirety of that movie. Because, like, you know, to use one of the the words of the day, when I I really like the fact that in a story from the 80s, it discusses Mm. that basically that man's agency is taken away from him. Sure. As long as uh, as Dead Man's uh, taken over it. And I, I, I really, I really... That that alone makes that story great. And then you add the the extra part at the end that just that makes it a showstopper. So that was Absolutely. a great story. Yeah, Thanks totally. That one, Chris. Oh, certainly. This was definitely if you if you pick up Christmas with the superheroes number two, um, the stories in it are they're pretty good. It's because Christmas with the superheroes number one, I think Kurt mentioned it a little earlier, is was basically a collection of of just classic Christmas stories with uh, DC characters. Whereas uh, Christmas with the Superheroes 2 was um, it was almost like a new talent showcase. You know, it was right. uh, writers that were were not as seasoned as uh, as, you know, your regular, you know, DC bullpen. And uh, it had characters in sort of different situations. Uh, and it wasn't and it wasn't reprints. So very interesting. I think the Dead Man story is definitely the best of the best of that issue, though. So definitely there, worth checking out. Was there an Enemy A story in that issue? There was. There was the first Enemy I, A story I ever read. I remember that comic. That is mm-hmm. a that is an excellent comic book. Oh yeah, it's wonderful. And Paul Chadwick did a Superman story. It, it's it's good. Oh, I'm sold. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I tell you, all the ones that were flashing through my head, I feel like because either you and Reggie covered it mm-hmm. or um, the one that just kept popping in my head was the Outsiders uh, issue you know, where outsiders, they played. They always did. They, they did Christmas issues like almost every year. It was wonderful. Yeah, they, they did the one Christmas Carol one and that popped in my head. Oh, yeah. And, and then I, then that got me thinking, I was like, well, you know, I know he's a big Titans guy and they did a Christmas Carol one yeah. back in the Haney days. Yeah. The, the, the swinging, the swinging Christmas Carol. Yep. Yeah. So I was just like, oh my gosh, what's he going to bring to the table? And you I love the fact that both of you guys surprised me. So that oh, was delightful. Good. Yeah. I was yeah. gonna, I started, I was going to do the J I mean, the, and these are all very problematic stories for me because it's hard for me to get through these. Cause I'm just too much of a softy. Sure. But I was going to do the JSA issue where Ma Hunkle comes back. Oh, I know. That's one of your favorites. Which, yeah. Oh, man, that kills me every time. Yeah. It's, just, it's just so wonderful. Um, I was going to do that one. And then I was going to do this Flash story, the one where Barry Allen shows up at the end. The right. Wally, where the fake Barry shows up at the end there. Uh, because there was a bit in there about how Wally was trying to – he was basically chasing the pump of Christmas, you know? Right. 
he's talking about and, and you know we i talked about a little earlier how like the priority kind of changes when you're an adult but you still kind of want that you still want you want the childlike excitement oh my so gosh whole, it's what we as comic book fans do that's yes. why we go back to spider-man again and again of because course. we want the experience of like okay what was your first spidey yeah. We want that feeling again. We want to feel the first time we picked up X-Men and, you know, mm-hmm. they're pulling the pin feather out of Angel. And, you know, you want to feel that drama and like it, how it hits you as like a 13 year old. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. And, I, and Jack gets to live that. So that's I, I'm wonderful. Envious. I'm lucky, envious lucky, lucky man. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah, that issue has a uh, Wally like the whole time he's talking about he wants to uh, he wants the excitement of opening a baseball mitt on christmas morning but he's an adult now so that's never going to happen again right and of course it ends with with linda getting him a baseball mitt but uh you know just the right yeah but just the just just the 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 idea and the concept that you know like kurt said you're not you're not going to get castle grayskull right now you know you're not even going to get the cabbage patch kid you know it's you're uh, not going to get that box set of wwf uh (laughs) wrestlemania tapes you asked for it's true and like the closest thing we have now is as grownups in current year is like maybe you'll get a fun Funko Pop you could put on a shelf. Yeah. You know, it's not the same as uh, a poorly articulated action figure from back in the day. Well, guys, that was a great show. I really appreciate you all coming in. Um, so let's plug and before we get out of here. Uh, I'm at I was Joe. The show is at 21st Century Boys 21 S T C E N B O Y S. Those are both on Twitter. Jack is um, at in underscore garlic. Okay. Twitter. Chris, you've got several places they can hit you up. Give us a minute and tell us about all that. Slightly, slightly. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. Um, I also do shows every single day. Uh, right now, um, the show, the main show, X Lapsed, is unfortunately on a unplanned hiatus because DCBS didn't send me any X Men books this month. So I am, uh, I'm kind of boned on current year stuff. So it's going to be pretty heavy into essential X Lapsed on the channel, where I'm looking at the Silver Age stuff. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. Um, I don't know when this is coming out, but uh, Professor X just died. Oh no. And we'll never see him again. That's we will shame. never ever see him again. It's unfortunate. Death, death is permanent in comic books. It's true. And he, it's and he true. won't get his brain placed inside the Red Skull either. Oh, that's no. way down the road. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, we saw a body, so he's he's not coming back. He's not. He's certainly not. A, he's certainly not a shapeshifter. But uh, yeah, so that's where we're at there. Um, but uh, leading up to Christmas, there will be the return of Mary X Lapsed. We'll hey. be taking a look at uh, five issues of uh, five X Men Christmas issues. So. Did that last year, had a good time with it, got a pretty good reception for it. So we'll do that again in the week leading up to Christmas. Um, that is all, you know, find all that at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. You find that on any of your podcasting platforms, your favorites and your least favorites. Um, and uh, the site is chrisoninfiniteearths.com. And we're going to catch you on Longbox Crusade as well, sounds like. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Will do. Okay. All right, Kirkus, take us out. Where are you at? I am at Big Five Army on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm proud to be a part of this show with Joe. And we also are part of Mike Myers' show, DC Everything Else, part of the DC Noise show. So be sure to subscribe to that on your podcast channel. Yep, DC Noise is the feed, and we are the seed. 
I don't know that that's true, but it rhymed. So <laughs> works for me. Everybody, happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, happy Christmas, Merry Christmas, happy Kwanzaa. I don't care what you celebrate. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your friends. Thank you for spending some time with us. These guys are some of my bestest friends that I've made through Twitter and through the world of podcasting, and I hope you guys have done the same. So that's my mushy moment. Uh, anyone want to say anything else? May God bless us, everyone. And on that note, <laughs> can't top that. <laughs> yeah, you guys have a wonderful holiday. Thanks for coming. Bye bye. Bye bye. To let your fellow man know that we care All about the pain Each day may bring And if we all in the hand All the brothers can sing out loud For one simple reason It's time to be merry Cause it's Christmas season, season. season.